All right, we are back with another episode of the Rockcast here from the Cuban Center at Assembly Hall. I'm Josh Eastern, your host, and this week we don't have an athlete per se, but we do have the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, Don Fisher, is here with us. Don, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Josh. So I guess just coming off this this past football season, this is a football podcast, let's start on, on football, I guess. What what you see from this team obviously came up a little bit short, but I think a lot of promise now coming into this 2019 season. Well, as you know, uh, since Tom Allen has been here, we've been uh, a much better defensive program than we had been previously for about 20-plus years. Uh, but Tom really instituted, uh, I think, a, a strengthening of the defensive side of the football um, as a defensive coordinator. As everyone knows, uh, it got much better uh, the first year he was here and then became the head coach, and uh, I think it's been good ever since. It hasn't been great yet, but I still think that there is room for that to happen, especially with the current group of kids. I think the one thing that probably gets lost in the, what, two, five, and seven seasons that Mm -hmm. Indiana has had since Tom has been the head coach is the fact that the recruiting has dramatically improved. And the type of athletes that Indiana is getting now uh, very comparable to a lot of other programs, uh, higher-level programs than what Indiana has been. Uh, so I think we're starting to match that talent level. But uh, there's no question it still needs to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the young guys that he has brought on campus still need to get better. And, and I think they're doing that and certainly will do it in this coming season. You've been around a lot of football teams since you've been here in Bloomington, I guess. What has been the identity kind of shift with this program? And has it always been, I guess, a defensive program, or has it kind of kind of changed back and forth? Well, it's it's been more of an offensive program. When, when their best teams have really been good offensive teams. But they've had defenses that were, you know, that weren't lower level. And I, I say that in the sense uh, it's always been the problem here to get the best defensive players. I don't know why that is necessarily. Obviously, Indiana's uh, ability to um, recruit players of the ilk that Ohio State and the Michigans and the Michigan States and programs like that get has have been it's been an issue. It, it's always been an issue because Indiana hasn't won enough, mm-hmm. and when you don't win enough, uh, it's hard to get some of the top players in the country to even look at your at at your particular school. Um, and and that that factors into why you can't get some of these kids mm-hmm. because you, your record's not good enough. It hasn't been good enough. It hasn't been strong enough on a steady basis, on a consistent basis, to draw that kind of material. Therefore, you've got to have an incredible coaching staff with incredible ability to talk to kids, to talk to players, um, and get them interested in a school that hasn't had a great deal of success. So... There are a lot of reasons, but this has always been an offensive-minded program for the most part. You've had to have a good quarterback. You've had to have skilled players at the running back and the wide receiver positions. And Indiana's never had a real issue at getting that type of player. They've had the issues of getting those big guys inside that could block (laughs) and, uh, and move the line of scrimmage on either side of the football, whether that's on defense or it's on offense. Those guys have been the hardest for Indiana and this program to recruit. So as we're speaking here today, we're about 
three or four days away from the spring game. I guess what are you looking forward to in that game, kind of just looking at this this new program in a way? Well, I, I think it's going to be hard to judge it mm-hmm. because there are so many players right now yeah. that are not going to be playing. That is, that is true. That, that have talent. Uh, obviously, the Michael Penix, uh, the uh, Jack Tuttles, uh, these young guys that uh, you know need to prove themselves. Um, Penix from the injury from last year, uh, still recovering from the ACL. Uh, Tuttle's uh, dealing with uh, an illness that uh, is going to keep him out of the rest of the spring uh, and maybe beyond a little bit. And so we're not going to really get a chance to see um, those guys. We've had several other players, Nick Westbrook and Stevie Scott and uh, a bunch of other guys that are quite prevalent on the offensive side of the football that probably won't be playing either. So Mm -hmm. we're going to see kind of an offense against the defense type of uh, scrimmage. I think on Friday night, and honestly, I don't know that how much that's going to tell us. I think it will tell us a little bit about the defense because of all the things I've seen this spring, the defense has been the most impressive. And the back seven, as athletic and as quick as I've seen an Indiana defense in a long, long time. And they're all young guys. So that's <laughs> really the positive about this whole thing. Absolutely, and, and, and that's saying a lot. So I guess let's let's talk about your story a little bit. Uh, you've been around for for quite for quite some time. Yeah, <laughs> I guess how how did you get your start here in Bloomington? Well, in <laughs> I was in Terre Haute, Indiana, for two and a half years from 1970 through uh, the football season of 1972. That radio station that I worked for in Terre Haute decided to stop doing play by play, stop stop basically stop doing sports. Uh, a new owner came in. He wanted to make the FM side where we did all of our sports music intensive. And back in that era, that's when FM was taking off mm-hmm. as a music intensive type of uh, 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 format. Um, so they said, uh, Mr. Fisher, you can stay here as a disc jockey and maybe do a game every other week or something like that if we decide to do something that's that important to the community. But uh, if not, you'll be just a disc jockey. And I said, well, I'm going to look for another job. (laughs) And literally couldn't find anything because this all happened in the September, October, November era uh, where you're playing football. Everybody's got their play-by-play guy for for the upcoming season. At that point, there were no jobs open at at that juncture. So I called up. A friend of mine named Jim Frandon, who was the when I was there in Otto, Illinois, back in uh, the uh, late '60s, um, I called this guy up and I said, "Jim, uh, what, what what are you doing now?" And he says, "I'm the general manager of this radio station." I said, "You mean WOLI has hired you as the GM?" He said, "Yeah." He says they didn't know what they were getting into. I said, <laughs> "Well, I know that." <laughs> I said, "I said, do you know of any?" place in the area up there. This is an area where I used to, I lived. That's where I was born and raised, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, I said, do you know of any any job openings up there? He says, we've got a high school kid doing our games right now. He says, if you want to come back and sell for me and do high school uh, uh, football and basketball games, or basketball games primarily, because football season was almost over. Uh, he says, if you want to come up here and sell and do basketball games and teach this high school kid what you know, at this juncture of your career, he says, we'll take you back. And I said, well, I'm only going to be there until I find something better in the spring. He says, no problem. So I went back to Ottawa, Illinois, um, went through the winter teaching this high school kid. Uh, he was actually pretty good. Um, he never got into radio after that. I don't know. Maybe I forced him out. Scared him away. Who knows? <laughs> but but he was actually a pretty good play-by-play guy. And, and we did a lot of high school games together and those kinds of things. And then the next spring I started looking for jobs. And I was – 
in the running for four or five different positions. Uh, uh, w, uh, I won't get into the minutia of it all, but uh, there was a radio station in Bloomington, Illinois, uh, that wanted to hire a sports director to take the place of a guy named Jim Durham. I don't know if you know who Jim Durham is, but I Jim Durham became the voice of the Chicago Bulls. Oh, there, there you go. <laughs> he left that, the radio station in Bloomington, Illinois, to become the voice of the Chicago Bulls. They were hunting for a sports director. I applied for that job. I applied for one in KUGN in uh, Eugene, Oregon, to become the voice of the Oregon Ducks. Uh, and there were two or three other jobs in, in the southern Illinois that I applied for. Um, the, the job that I went to first, or the first one I got an interview with, was the station in Bloomington. But uh, two days before I went to this Bloomington radio station, I get a call from my former boss in Terre Haute. He says, did you apply for the Indiana job? I said, what are you talking about? He says, uh, Indiana University is going to have a exclusive statewide network next year for the first time in the school's history. And a radio station in Indianapolis has been given their rights, and they're looking for a play-by-play guy to do Indiana University. I went, you're kidding me. I, says, I said, I read Broadcast Magazine all the time. He says, it was, a, it was a closed box. Did you not see it? I said, no, I didn't see it. So at any rate, he says, I know the general manager at the radio station. I don't know him well, but I've made his acquaintance. He says, I'll be happy to call up there and see if they're still taking applications, that type of thing. So he did. They, he calls me back and he says, they've had over 200 people apply for this job. He says, but they'll take 201 or whatever the case may be. <laughs> he said, go ahead and send it because they're about to make their selection process, you know, down, cut it down to people they want to interview. So he calls me back. He tells me this. I then make the trip to WJBC in Bloomington, Illinois. And, of course, that day I sent the tape and resume out to this station in Indianapolis, which is WIRE. And um, at any rate, I get there to this Bloomington radio station and have the interview with a guy named Don Munson. And he says, well, he says, we don't really have um, to wait around here very long to decide who we want. We want you. I said, well, why? I mean, I really appreciate that. And it's, it's a great opportunity. I said, but how do you know about me? He says, well... We've been given reports, and they were 60 miles south of where I was at, mm-hmm. that, that you have done a tremendous job at this radio station. And I said, I said, how could you possibly know that? You didn't hear me do football games. He says, we've heard your tape. He said, you know, we, we, we know what you can do. So he says, we want to offer you the job right now. I said, well, here's the problem. And I was being honest with the guy. Mm-hmm. I said, there are two jobs that I'm interested in, this job in Eugene, Oregon, KUGN is a radio station out there that's hiring uh, for an exclusive play-by-play voice for their network. And I said, I just got a call a couple of days ago, and this radio station in Indianapolis is looking for a guy to do Indiana University. I started my career in Butte, Montana as a disc jockey back in (laughs) 1967. I didn't want to go west again. You were done with the West. I, I was pretty much done with the West. I decided I'm going to stay here in, in the Midwest if I can. So... At any rate, I tell Mr. Munson, I said, I can't take this job because 30 days down the road, if I've gotten an interview and I've been hired or I wa- they want to hire me at one of these other radio stations, I'm going to take it because it's going to be more money, number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's just a better opportunity. I said, it's a higher level. He said, all right, I'm going to give you 30 days. He says, if you haven't, if in 30 days you haven't been hired by one of those other two radio stations, will you come to work for us? I said, yes, I will. So we left it at that. Wow. I walk out the door. 
literally probably a week and a half later, I get a phone call from WIRE in Indianapolis. The guy says, we'd like to interview you. I said, how many interviews are you doing? I said, I just, just for my own information, because I know you had a lot of applications for this job. He says, we've cut it down to five people. Wow. Really? You've cut it down to five people. I said, I'll be happy to come down to Indianapolis. So I, I actually made the trip down. I sat with a guy named Don Nelson, and the program director's name was Bill Robinson. Don Nelson was a general manager. Um, we sat for about 45 minutes uh, with each of them. I went one, one and then the other and then mm-hmm. both together. <laughs> and literally it was about, about an hour and a half total interview. Wow. So uh, I said – uh, I appreciate uh, you guys sitting down here with me. What are my chances? And he said, you've got the same chance as the other four guys we're going to interview. I said, okay, thank you. So 20% I went back. chance. Yeah. So I went back. I went literally went back to, to uh, Ottawa, Illinois. Um, and I actually got a call from KUGN Radio like two days oh, later. Wow. And they said, we'd like you to come out here to interview. I said, well, let's, let me work on that, you know, because I wanted to hang. I really didn't want to go back west again. So I said, uh, we, we can set something up here in two or three days. I said, it's going to take me a while to figure out how I'm going to get there and all that kind of thing. Because in those days, they didn't play for your tra- pay for your travel to uh, go interview, <laughs> that kind of thing. So at any rate, um, I waited around for like a week. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from WIRE in Indianapolis. And you're the guy we want. Wow. And that's how I got to uh, Indianapolis. That's how I became the voice of Indiana University. Wow. That's a, that's a great story right there. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> twists and turns. but uh, There were quite a few. Absolutely. So I guess now since you've, you've been here and you've kind of established yourself here, I guess what has Indiana meant to you in, in your career? Well, it's meant everything. Um, I mean, I've been here 46 years. Uh, first of all, you in broadcasting back in the day, uh, you did not – uh, ever anticipate that you'd be any place for 46 years. Uh, you moved around a lot, in, mm-hmm. in, in, especially in back when I started out. Uh, I really wanted to do ba- – that's why I got into play-by-play. I wanted to do baseball, and I still had that dream at that point. Uh, and, but I'd also learned very quickly that if you did baseball, you'd have to start at the minor league level, mm-hmm. and they basically paid you nothing. I mean, it was the worst. Still, of still all today. Of, still yes. today. <laughs> As a high school announcer, I, I would make more money doing high school sports for a local radio station than you could as a minor league baseball broadcaster. Yeah. It was just crazy. So I, I can, you know, I, I really still had that mindset that I really wanted to do baseball. But at the same time, it wasn't going to kill me if I didn't because I had some success doing football and basketball and, and other sports, a million other sports, uh, in, in every assignment that I had. But um, I, I was gifted at both football and basketball, at least from a, a talent perspective. I knew both sports pretty well. Uh, I probably knew baseball even better. But you know, high school and college baseball do, doesn't equate to doing minor league baseball, doing it on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't have the same experience. That said, uh, when I got here, I just didn't anticipate I'd be around that long. I figured if I had a 10-year run, I was feeling really good about it. Yep. And, and then I got to 15, and then I got to 20, and I got to 25, and that was pretty much it. I decided this is where I wanted to be. I, I never really looked at – there were two or three other opportunities for me to leave. In 1987, I was offered the job with the Indiana Pacers oh. um, uh, to be their play-by-play guy. I had remarried um, about two years prior to that, and I had custody of my children. And I didn't want to put my new wife 
in a position where she was taking care of, they weren't real young kids. Uh, the youngest was a sixth grader mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, one was a freshman and one was a junior in high school, and the oldest had already gotten in, in, into college. So, uh, but, but I would be putting my new wife in charge of kids uh, that were of the older variety, a mm-hmm. much more difficult challenge yep. for uh, a new mom, that scenario. And because of that, I turned down the Pacer job. Uh, I also had a chance to go to Minnesota to interview for um, uh, the Vikings at one point. Um, so I, I had opportunities to leave. I just couldn't pull myself away from Indiana because, number one, we had, by that time we had won two national championships, and or actually three, because 87 was the year the summer that right. they interviewed me for the Pacer job. So we'd won three national championships. Uh, Bob Knight's program was one of the best in the country without question. Uh, our football program under Bill Mallory was starting to climb up the ladder. Uh, Bill Mallory was doing a tremendous job at the school uh, as their football coach. So they were having success. And so it was easy to turn away anything that came along uh, the pike for those reasons, all including my family situation. So that's why I stayed here. Um, and I've never regretted it for a minute. I really haven't. Um, I started working for Learfield Communications, who took over the broadcast rights um, for Indiana University back in 1993. And they have been tremendous people to work for. Um, I've been an independent contractor since 87. Uh, that's a long story. I won't go through that, why <laughs> I got away from that radio station. But nevertheless, um, the career I've spent here and the amount of time I've spent here and what I've done here, it's all part of my history, uh, not only Indiana's history, but it's been part of my history. So uh, I never regretted for a second that I've been here for this long, mm-hmm. and it's really going to take a big-time shoehorn to get me out. <laughs> so 46 years, obviously a, a decent amount of time, which means you've been around a lot of people and a lot of coaches. And I think one football coach that kind of stands out among the rest here, just because he puts on a, a headgear every weekend, is is Lee Corso, just kind of a... A, a goofy guy. I guess, w- what's your best Lee Corso story? Oh, well. I know there's a lot. There, there are so many stories about Lee Corso. Um, and one of the most genuinely nice people and funny people and effervescent and excitable um, and enthusiastic people that you could ever be around. We did a talk show for 10 years his 10 years of, of his career at Indiana. Mm-hmm. We, he did a talk show on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. He drove to our studios in Indianapolis wow. every Wednesday night for those 10 years. Think about that. Yeah, that's Any that's coaches impressive. do that these days? No. No, you go to <laughs> go them. Go to the Holiday Inn. <laughs> exactly. You go to them. They, you're going to be in their town. It's not going to be inconvenient for them, that kind of thing. Lee Corso drove to Indianapolis for 10 years. But uh, and and was just terrific to work with. I mean, you can't find somebody that could give you more listenability than a guy like him because he was one of those people. People just wanted to hear what he had to say. He did crazy, crazy stuff. Now he had a television show, and this is one of the great stories about Lee Corso. We got beat by Nebraska. I don't know if this was seventy six, seventy seven, some some place in there. We got beat by Nebraska. At Nebraska, I think the final score was 62 to 19. Wow. Something like that. Uh, my memory's not as good as it used to be. <laughs> but nevertheless, we got clobbered. We came home after that. Uh, we flew home after the game. 
The next day, he's on a Sunday, his Sunday morning television show. I think it was on at 11.30 or maybe it was even noon. I can't remember. But anyway, the opening scene for his television show, there's a coffin. It's sitting. As, as you look, there's candles lit on either side of the coffin. There's some flowers. Uh, and you can tell. And the coffin is open. And you can tell somebody's in it, but you can't tell who it is. And there's like funeral music, that kind of thing, playing in the background, and the camera slowly is moving in on the coffin, and all of a sudden, Corso pops up out of the coffin, and he goes, we ain't dead yet. (laughs) And literally, I fell off the chair in my living room because it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh, my goodness. It, it, it was stuff like that. He would do things like that, just crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, literally the first game he coached at Indiana was against Illinois. It was my first game that I ever did. Really? His first year was my first year, 1973. Wow. He, for a month leading up to that game, all the practices and post-game practice, press conferences, and all those kinds of things are – or media, you know, opportunities. He would talk about, you know, this is going to be an incredible opening game. He says we are going to, we you're going to see things you've never seen before. I encourage everybody to get to the stadium right away. He says be there an hour, hour and a half before kickoff. He says you're going to see things you've never seen before. I mean, he he built this up like this is going to be unbelievable. And we had fifty two thousand wow, in the stands. It was full. It was full. It was a full stadium that day. But here's the thing. It's an hour before kickoff, no team on the field. 45 minutes before kickoff, only Illinois is on the field warming up. 30 minutes before kickoff, still no Indiana football team. And everybody's going, what is going on here? The only team that's warming up is Illinois. Five minutes before kickoff, you see two huge big double-deck red buses at the top of the stadium. In those days, the north end zone wasn't there, of right. course, and you had to drive down this down a hill uh, with these buses right to where the locker room was located, where it's still located today, or at least the entrance to it is. And so these two buses are driving down slowly, driving down this hill. Everybody's watching them, and everybody's kind of, what? And the murmuring is going on in the stands this whole bit. And the, 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 finally, the buses get to the bottom, and they open, the, the front bus opens up, and Corso pops out of it, and he runs out on the field. All the players running behind him, and they're all running out on the field. Everybody's going nuts, okay? It's awesome that they're but, – but nobody knew what was going on. The team had warmed up over at Bill Armstrong Stadium. <laughs> They went over there and warmed up. That's where they did, and they so they make this grand entrance. And guess what happens when they get out on the field? The referee throws a flag because we were late for the kickoff. (laughs) (laughs) Never seen before. Indiana had not gotten there on time for the opening (laughs) kickoff, so they threw a flag and penalized them for for the you know delay a game. That is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, those are those are the kinds of things that Coach Corso did. And the other thing, the other story about him, he was so hyper every game day. And he walked up and down. You think Tom Crean was bad walking up the sidelines? 
adjusting his pants. <laughs> this was no different. For, Lee Corso was on that sideline going up and down and up and down the whole ball game most of the time. It was amazing how much energy he had just to do that. And then if you walked off the football field or you walked on the football field and everybody was gone and you went to that sideline, you know what you would have seen? What? On the, on the, on the sideline where he had walked, you would see all these ammonia pills or, or all these ammonia tablets. He used to snort ammonia tablets to, to keep that energy flowing. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I, I say ammonia. I don't know what it was, but that's what I was told, that it was ammonia tablets or whatever to give you a jolt to uh, increase oh your goodness. energy level because that's what he was doing. I, I want to say he did that every game forever. All I know is that did happen. So wow. he, he was just a different guy. And, uh, you know, it, if he could have had more success as the head football coach, um, it would have been unbelievable because yeah. he was here 10 years. You know how many winning seasons he had? Two. Yeah. Two. And, and, he, and his, first, his first three years, we won five games. Ooh, okay. So we, two, one, and two. That wow. tells you how how struggle how much of a struggle it was for him at Indiana. But he still had fun. He doing was it. still a fun man, <laughs> and he was still fun to be around, and he was great to work with. That is awesome. Those are two great, great stories right there. Wow, <laughs> I'm sure we could go on a, a lot more. Um, but I guess aside from football, obviously you're the voice of Indiana basketball, and you've also had some opportunities to do stuff with the Colts. You've also done the Little 500, and we're talking here during Little 500 weeks. So I got to ask you about it. What, what was it like to be part of that, that weekend, I guess? Well, it was fun. I mean, I had no idea what bike racing was all about. And Max Gervin, who did color for my football and basketball games for the first 24 years that I did Indiana, uh, Max knew all about the Little 500. He was with the Alumni Association, later with the IU Foundation. Uh, he, he pretty much showed me the ropes in regard to what the Little Five was all about um, and gave me some insights into it. I did it, um, I guess it was, I don't know if it was taped. I assume it was taped. I can't remember exactly what we did exactly, how, how it was all done. But we did the little five, I think maybe four or five years. Wow, okay. Um, and I don't know if people have those tapes or not. I, there, I, I listened to one on YouTube the other day because I'm, I'm prepping for my third race. Who, it was still Max doing the game with me. Do you remember that, who it was? I don't remember. I, it was just like the final clip oh, of okay. like Sigma Chi gotcha. winning, I think in 94. Because I think Max did it for two or three years, and then somebody else may have done it with me for okay. a year or two. I, I can't remember. Yeah. It, that tells you how important I, a placement I put onto <laughs> it. But but it was more fun than anything yeah, else, and it was fun to see uh, see these kids compete, uh, and the endurance level that you had to have as a biker, um, and and the women of course had the the trike race, <laughs> which I <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Not a thing anymore. <laughs> no, it's not a thing anymore. <laughs> but 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 all the all the training, and all of the effort these kids put into the little five and what it took to be a part of it. It was phenomenal in that regard. And then the place was packed. I mean, uh, Bill Armstrong Stadium was packed for every little five that yep. we did. So those are the things that struck me about it. I still, to this day, I don't remember anything about biking. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you do it, you, you get the assignment, you do it, and the next thing you know, it's over with. And you know, if you haven't done it for 15, 25 years or whatever it's been since right. I did the last one, uh, it's been a long time. But, but, 
but it was fun to do while we did it. Absolutely. And I guess can I, as we wrap up, I guess just a few quick questions. Um, first off, favorite venue you've called a, a game in? Well, believe it or not, um, as in Assembly Hall is without question a historic yes. venue. And, it, and I've been in several different locations to do the play-by-play. The current location that we have, which is the old television mm-hmm. uh, area up uh, a little above the floor, that's the best place I've ever had to do a game from. But the second best was where I started out, which was right across the floor. Um, and and we were up against the wall, and we were on risers. Mm-hmm. So I was up, my head basically was up around that railing. You know where yep. the railing yep. is up there at the top? So that's that was a really good venue to do it from as well. But I love I love Assembly Hall. I still think it's one of the great venues of all in college basketball today, just because of its history yep. and its uniqueness, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. Um, but if you want to go away from Assembly Hall, I don't have to go very far. It's basically right up the road at Mackey Arena. Wow. Okay. Uh, and the reason is because it's a phenomenal facility in the sense of it's probably seats around 14-5 and it's packed for yep. every ball game oh, yeah. and they are the loudest because of the dome f- uh, scenario of their building I don't know what it, it's, it's the engineer just, in them you know <laughs> yeah I mean whatever they did to do that they've got it reflecting back down and it sounds like twice as many fans as oh, there yeah. are there it's just so loud but and they are so vociferous when it comes to Indiana <laughs> playing there uh, as you all know, and uh, it's just fun to do a game from there. So it's probably my second favorite place to be. I'd say the Breslin Center in Mich- at Michigan State is another that's really a great place to do games from, and uh, a place that was never had the same kind of basketball energy until they built the new arena is Wisconsin, the Kohl Center. Okay. And that place is it's it's a great venue to do games from as well. So from a Big Ten perspective, that's probably the two or three that I would mention. All right, all right. Well, now as we officially wrap up, we've done it on every podcast. We do rapid fire questions. So first thing that comes to your mind. Oh my goodness, let, you might get something hear. that you can't put on the air. <laughs> I, I can always edit this. It's it's, it's a podcast. It's it's not live. Uh, so first off, what have you done that you are most proud of? Raised four sons. Okay. Favorite place you've traveled to? Hawaii. Hawaii for Maui. Yes. Yes. Maui Invitational. That is that is, a, and they're going back in 2020. Yes, How they great are. Is that? Uh, what advice did you get that was the most rewarding? Oh man. Well, my dad always said, "Be yourself." So I don't know that anything could be more rewarding than yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. What is one thing you have always wanted to do but have not? Go to the Rose Bowl. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Have you been as a fan? No, I've never been there. Never been. Man. I want to do. I want to do a Rose Bowl game. I. I don't blame you. I. I just went for my first time this past year, and it was. I mean, it's everything you can dream about. Yeah, it's, it's great. I absolutely want to do that, and I want Indiana to be in it. Absolutely. I think we're all hoping <laughs> that as well. Well, Don, thank you very much for coming in. This is. This has been great to, to speak with the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Josh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks.